I'll ask anybody's questions but yours, if you're an idiot. My wife can score more than two buckets on 11 shots because I know my wife will at least shot fake one time. I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Welcome on in to the Made for March podcast, Tyler Aki and Tim Leonard. Be sure to check out the show on Twitter at Made the Number for March. And you can also, if you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. We're here with you twice a week talking all things college basketball. And what a weekend it was. I mean, Tim, you and I kind of hit it off the, the head in our last episode saying, you know, it's probably going to be kind of a dull weekend. And to a degree, it was. But the big games that we highlighted, boy, were there some fireworks. We're going to get to all of that in the show. But I think we have to kind of start off with what we saw last night, Tim. And I'm not talking about in the college basketball world. I'm talking about in the college (laughs) football world because, boy, do those games go long. That's all I'm going to say is, listen, I mean, Alabama, Ohio State, fantastic teams, fantastic teams. But did we need five hours to, to determine a champion there? Did we really? No. Absolutely I mean, that's like the not. entire length of like that that Saturday of the final four is, is five hours. You get your first game, you get your second game, and then boom, you're done in five hours. That, that was one game, and it felt like seven hours. Not to mention it's two East Coast fan bases, and when did the game kick? Like 8.25, 8.20? I don't remember exactly, right. but it wasn't 8 o'clock. They were going through all their pregame festivities, which I totally get, but I mean, if you're going to kick it off that late, Let's try and cut down the the time of the game a little bit. I had no interest in watching the second half. I watched the entire first half or kind of actually had to listen to some of it because I was driving a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, once I saw Devontae Smith had three touchdowns at half, like, that was very enjoyable to watch the first half. But I was gassed after. Yeah, he is. He's something. (laughs) Would you want your Patriots to draft him? Oh, absolutely. They'd have to move up. Who's throwing him the ball, though? Who's throwing him the ball? Well... That's a whole hold out another topic. I, I'm all for Matt Stafford. I think he's underrated. <laughs> oh, Give him a okay. chance, Bill. Yeah, okay. that's my guy. All right. I like that. I, I, I'd kill for Matt Stafford, too, on, on the Bears. All right. Let's get into some college basketball because there were some doozies over the weekend, and we kind of build this one up as the marquee matchup, and it lived up to every single bit of it. It's Texas-West Virginia, the number four team, the number 12 team. We know that... The, this West Virginia team, a, a bit shorthanded because of some transfers, but Andrew Jones, I mean, talk about the story of college basketball for the weekend. And honestly, I feel like this story gets kind of pushed under the radar a little bit because, well, let's just start with this. He He's diagnosed with leukemia almost two years ago to the day, and then he comes out and hits the the big shot to beat West Virginia in a game that that's on the road. And I mean, I don't think we're talking enough about Texas, but this story of Andrew Jones, the fact that he is still playing college basketball and he's, he's gone through all this adversity to, to even get back on the court. And he's not just doing that, but he's one of Texas's best players on one of the best teams in the country. Yeah. Just a remarkable moment for him. It's, it's, Fitting how that happened on the anniversary of it and everything. It's like, that's just what we needed in 2021. I guess we are now, but I still think when I start to say those sentences in 2020, because that's the, this COVID time period, we need more of these stories. So it was really awesome to see. 
just a gutsy shot. And I, I got to credit Courtney Ramey as well, who led the team in scoring on the, the play too, because he drives in and a lot of players would have just forced up a shot given that it's late stages of the game, the situation of the game, you're, you're just hearts racing, all that, everything's sped up, but he does the right play that you would make normally, and he delivers a pinpoint pass right in his shooting pocket to Andrew Jones. And now Texas, you look at their resume so far, they have wins over UNC and Indiana in the Asheville-Maui tournament, so that's away from home. And then they pick up wins away from home against Kansas and at West Virginia. And Texas fans will remember, last year they went to West Virginia and they lost by 40 points or something. And Shaka Smart was firmly on the hot seat. So it's been quite a transformation in a year for them. Right. And we're looking at a team now that might have the most impressive road resume. I mean, wins against Kansas and win against West Virginia, both of which were housing fans too, might we add. So I think that is about as impressive as it gets. I know some people might say a team like Gonzaga because, but a lot of theirs have been neutral site games. Um, and they have a lot of similar wins, but I'm starting to think with, with, with Andrew Jones, I mean, it, it's the story that I feel like not enough people are talking about how amazing yeah. his comeback was. And it's just one of those things like, sure. 2021 hasn't gotten off to, to the fleetest of starts as some people thought it might've been. I mean, I think some people were thinking that clock was going to strike midnight and all of a sudden life's back to normal. No, it, it's a, it's a process. Rome wasn't built in one day, but I think that th- this is start- starting to make me think about this Texas team because I feel like they are becoming one of those teams that they're a conference leader right now, but I don't know like how much more they have to do for us to start talking about them more because Texas has done pretty much everything you could have asked out of them. They, they-, they lose the one game to Villanova at home, a game in which I believe, if I'm remembering correctly... They were leading for the majority of it, but I look at this Texas team and I just feel like they are leading the Big 12 in what is maybe the the top heaviest conference in all of the sport, and we're not talking about them enough. They're undefeated in in the Big 12 right now, 4-0, with wins over Kansas, West Virginia, and Oklahoma State. Those are about three of the most impressive wins that you can get in the conference, and I just feel like no one's really talking about them like... Oh, could they be a one seed? I mean, I don't even feel like a ton of people are giving them top five recognition right now. When they go out, they win Maui, and then they, they've kind of <laughs> taken care of business ever since. Yeah, I mean, they should be a one seed. If the tournament ended, or the tournament started, I should say, tomorrow, then they would be a one seed at this point. I think you'd have to put them at least in the conversation for sure. This is a team that just has so many pieces. Like, similar to the way that we talk about Gonzaga, there's really two teams right now where you go, oh my god, that guy's coming off the bench, and it's Gonzaga with Andrew Nebhard and Texas when you watch Kai Jones come into the game. Because Kai Jones is as talented as it gets in college basketball, and he's going to be a lottery pick most likely, and he does so many different things for you on the basketball court. But he's the sixth man on this team. Like, it puts into perspective just how loaded they are. They have this great eight-man rotation where six of their guys are basically starters. And they can count on Kai Jones when Jericho Sims gets in foul trouble like he did in this game. Because, yes, West Virginia didn't have Shibway, but they also have Derek Culver, who's one of the best bigs in the conference. And I do actually think that West Virginia looked overall pretty good. I mean, they were seconds away from winning this game. And 
Right. Uh, you know, if they make a free throw late, then they do probably ice the game. And the guy who went to the line, Matthews, is like an 87% free throw shooter. So kind of just didn't fall their way, unfortunately, for them. But, yeah, like, uh, I, this Texas team, to your point, what more do they have to do? And Andrew Jones, it's not just, oh, this kid hit some miraculous shot. He's been playing great for them for a while. And it took him a while to get back to where he is. I mean, relatively speaking, it didn't take him that long because – we're talking about cancer, and it's pretty remarkable that here we are three years later and he's hitting those shots. But, yeah, like, he he lost his right to play basketball in the blink of an eye and all of a sudden went from, oh, I've got fatigue, to, okay, I've got leukemia and I'm fighting for my life. And now here he is back kind of at the mountaintop with a Final Four caliber team. I remember the videos that came out after he had been diagnosed, and it's him just taking the little dot shots on the court and, and that even in of itself was considered yeah. to be some miraculous step for him. And now he's hitting a, a game winner against a, a big 12 foe, which is pretty amazing to me. I look at this Texas team and isn't this what UNC thought they were going to be heading into the year? Just a loaded cast of bigs. When you look at Jericho Sims, Kai Jones and Greg Brown, like this is what UNC thought they were going to be. And then they expected they'd have better three-point shooting. Now, Texas, they're not lights out from three. They're pretty much middle of the pack exactly. But they play stellar defense, and they get the production from the bigs that any team could dream for. They've got the depth for it, too, so they don't get into a ton of foul trouble. And they're getting some timely guard play. I feel like this is kind of, it's constructed as sort of a classic UNC team, but I feel like this team is what UNC thought they were going to be this year. Yeah, it's a good point, and they beat them kind of at their own game, just being a little bit right. better than them. Yeah, I, I. The other thing is with Texas, Shaka Smart. I mean, going into the year, there was legit talk of he's got to bring it this year. Or he's canned, and you some people, mm -hmm. yeah, some people would argue that he maybe would have been canned if not for the pandemic. Like that was a serious enough talking point to that level, and it goes back to just the general sort of leash that coaches have in college, in NFL, whatever you're talking about. Like Bill Belichick considered the greatest coach ever now. When he started with the Browns, he was terrible. No one wanted to hire him when he came to the Patriots. Like you, you can get caught up in, oh, if you're a great coach, then you have to prove it right away. And I think it's admirable what Texas did. I don't know if the pandemic played a factor or what, but it seems like they were willing to stick it out with Shaka Smart. Stick it out is relative because I think they should have been doing it all along, but you can fall victim into, like, just like what they've done with their football program where they I was fired Tom say, Herman. Yeah. I'm wondering how the financials worked out here because obviously we know the University of Texas, they value their football program miles beyond what they value their basketball program as, right? And if you were going to have to face that sort of buyout, you're in the middle of a pandemic sort of season – and athletic budgets are tight right now. Did the University of Texas say, all right, if Tom Herman's not getting it done this year, then we're probably going to have to let him go. And they would have rather retooled at the football side of things than on the basketball side of things. And so they're like, okay, we can let Shaka kind of run, run off one more year, but we can't fire both in the same season. And... Shaka's obviously saved his job, it appears right now, with the performance that he's putting together. But I'm wondering if 
the football they were wary of it at the beginning of football season and said we can't fire Shaka now because we'd much rather fire the football coach and eat that buyout as opposed and then have to go out and pay another guy on top of that than fire the basketball coach and, and eat whatever buyouts included there. Yeah, I you might be onto something because I'm sure there were hefty buyouts at least on you know you would gather that I I don't know the inside info there but. It does feel like that played a factor maybe in their decision. The bottom line is, though, it's proof again that even Coach K, I mean, it took him a while to start winning at Duke. Like, these great coaches, you don't have to cut ties with a coach after three, four years if you're a program like Texas. And in reality, having consistency and having a culture that is the same coaching staff is actually pretty beneficial. Like, Shaka Smart has been with Andrew Jones from the start. He's been with Matt Coleman from the start. And now we're seeing that Texas is a very experienced team, whereas the past couple groups of Texas teams just haven't looked like smart teams because they haven't had that experienced guards in the backcourt. Like, Ramey, Coleman, and Jones are giving them great minutes this year. And look They've like been a hell of a luxury. Yeah. 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 And that's no what doubt. you need in college. But we've seen it so many times. Yes, the freshmen are huge. And yes, it's shifting to a one-and-done, and you need the talent. So you get Greg Brown, you have a Kai Jones who's a sophomore, but, you know, he's kind of a late bloomer of sorts where he didn't start playing basketball until he was 15, grew up in the Bahamas, and here he is bursting onto the scene, it feels like, this year. So you have the talented front court guys, but you've also got that blend of experience, which separates them from the Kentuckys and the UNCs and the Dukes, like we've talked about in this podcast, how it's been tough for those teams to survive this year. Right. So we'll we'll see what happens with Texas. They've got Texas Tech coming up tomorrow on Wednesday. So I think that's going to be a, a pretty interesting matchup there. And we'll see if Texas can keep this thing going because right now they're undefeated in the Big 12. And I mean, going, listen, no one's going to go undefeated in the Big 12 or Big 10. But I got to say, I think going in undefeated in the Big 12, I'm not going to say it's as impressive as going undefeated in the Big 10, but that's probably the second most impressive yeah. conference to be withstanding a an early run here, I, I would say, because that especially given the opponents that they have played so far, it is very, very top heavy in that Big Twelve. And they're they're gonna go through the the third uh really good team in in the conference coming up on Wednesday. All right, let's shift over to the Big Ten because there was a monster, monster upset. On Sunday night, I feel like this one flew under the radar because of all the football that was going on, but Maryland goes through an absolutely surgical end of game here to take down Illinois in Champaign, 66-63 the final, and I gotta say, Tim, where's your panic meter on Illinois right now? Because this is their, their fourth loss of the season, second in conference, again, the first loss was to Rutgers, which... On the road, it's uh you can live with that, especially in the gauntlet that is the Big Ten. But when you look at uh Maryland going in and taking down the Illini, are you panicking on Illinois? I know you were a little more uneasy on the Illini than I were, but yeah. wh- where are you now with Illinois? I'm not panicking. I still think they're kind of what I thought they were before the game. Like they're going to lose games in Big Ten play, as we've discussed right. a lot. Everyone will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is their first home loss of the season, which they kind of had that going for them as, yeah, but we've, you know, lost to Baylor in a neutral site, lost to Mizzou on the road. That's a quality loss. Although Mizzou hasn't been playing quite as good. 
of late. But then the other one was Rutgers, who, same thing, we'll get into Rutgers. They've kind of been struggling, too. But, yeah, this is, you know, if they had won this game, it would have been five in a row, and we'd be on this podcast talking about how Illinois is finally looking like the team that they were supposed to be. So that's just Big Ten basketball for you. I don't put a lot of stock in it. Maryland didn't have Eric Ayala in this game, which is kind of surprised me that they were able to pull off the upset given that it was at Illinois and I wouldn't have picked it like we discussed the upset picks and this one didn't really jump out to me but there's always a couple and it usually comes in Big Ten play and Illinois was just the victim of the tough schedule this week. I'm looking at it from the end of game sequence because again I'm not super concerned about Illinois. It was a timely offensive board that got tipped out and just found the right guy in Morcel. He knocks down the big shot for for Maryland. And it's one of those things where I don't expect that rebound to happen nine times out of ten. Especially when you have Kofi Coburn and, and some of the other good rebounders on that team. I'm just not privy to that being an, a norm there. I will say this. While I'm not concerned with Illinois... I'm starting to see a little bit of a concerning trend with them. Ever since that Penn State game, they have not scored over 70 points. Now, I will say this. The defense has gotten much, much better with them. They also have not allowed over 70 points in that stretch. But this is a team that is one of the most efficient offenses in the country, top 10 in the the nation per Ken Palm. And the defense was the thing that we were a little concerned about after that Rutgers game is, listen, they can't go out and let up 91 points to a defensive-oriented team like the Scarlet Knights. But the defense has strapped up a little bit, and it's been the offense, actually, that's really taken a step back. And I think that would be my, my major concern about this team moving forward. Yeah, they're still sort of figuring out their pieces and how everything works together, like most teams are. It's still early in the season. It's kind of weird that... I don't know about you, but it feels like it's later, maybe just because there's been a lot of news around college basketball this year, and there was a lot of anticipation for it to start. But here we are, we're still, I mean, Maryland has played 13 games, or sorry, Illinois has played 13 games, the team we're talking about. That's that's still at a point in this, like you're still figuring stuff out in a normal year. It feels later maybe because... Here we are in the thick of Big Ten play for them. Like, they've already... Right, that, that's seven Big Ten games for them already. Yeah, and that, credit the Big Ten. I feel like they've had not a lot of hiccups in their scheduling, and maybe that's regionality, I don't know. But, yeah, it's it's tough because I do think if you want to be a number one, number two seed, you kind of have to just make sure you, you end games like that Maryland game. And then you also would like to see a little bit more of like a marquee win or two on Illinois' schedule so far. It's not like they haven't had quad two wins or even quad one wins because Minnesota, they crushed them. They're 32 on Kempom. Indiana, they beat them by nine at home. They're 23 on Kempom. And then they went on the road at Duke. It was still somehow 22 on Kempom. So they have quality wins. I just haven't seen like a statement win yet, I guess, against a, t- a fellow top 10, top 15 team. Right. I guess you could kind of say the Northwestern game was to a degree. I mean, especially in the fashion which they won. They, they yeah. go out and win by 25 <laughs> on the road. I think that would be one that you could sort of classify under that. I don't have Northwestern's net ranking right in front of me right now because that ultimately is the final determinant of whether or where they situate in the quads and all that stuff. I, I will say this, that that final game sequence, I, I think there were a couple things to take away from it. First of all, the shot that 
was taken. It was a, a forced Io DeSumo three. And yeah. well, I want the ball in Io's hands at the end of the game. I don't want the the leaning three point attempt from him. That's not the 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 look you're you're trying to get, especially when you've got some really good catch and shoot three guys on that team. I I would almost prefer Io to not take the last shot when you need a three. When you need a two, Io's the guy I want taking the shot. But when you need a three, I would rather have him try to get to the bucket and then kick out to one of the corner guys, whether exactly. it's Adam Miller, Demonte Williams. And I, I even thought Demonte Williams was trailing on that play, and I think they could have gotten the ball to him. I really do. On a little shovel pass, almost reminiscent of a, a Villanova sort of play from the national championship, you hit him on a little shovel, he catches it in stride, and I think we have a t- tie ball game. And also worth noting, too, Demonte Williams. Talk about numbers that don't add up here. You ready for this? So he misses two big free throws at the end of the game that probably would have put the game on ice. And he so he misses the two free throws. He's a 65% three-point shooter. And he's not someone who's taken like 10 shots this year. He's taken 33 attempts. So that's a, a decent sample size that you're getting out of him. But what's mind-boggling to me, he's shooting 54% from the free throw line. <laughs> I don't get how those two numbers... <laughs> like, the 50-40-90 club is almost going to be reversed with him. Right. Like. <laughs> yeah, so. that's that's baffling. The tough part there when you're illustrating how they should handle that situation, I, I agree with you totally before I say this, but also, what if we called Io DeSumo on this podcast several times? The best closer in college right. basketball. And it's like, if you have that guy, you probably don't really want to get it. Like. If it's a two-point game, you're 100% going to him. So oh, yeah. I'm kind no of doubt. okay with it. I want him controlling the last possession, I yeah. think, is the, is the best way to frame it. I don't care if he's going to dish it. I don't care if he's going to be the one taking the shot. But I want him in command of that last possession. And he was. He was in command of that last possession. It's just the the look they got at the end probably could have gotten something a little bit better. Um, and I think there was still some time on the clock, too, to to let it transpire as well. All right, let's keep it in the Big Ten. One more big game that I think worth highlighting, and really one more big theme worth highlighting. It's the Rutgers Scarlet Knights and what has happened to them over these last couple of games because they have now lost three in a row, including three of their last four. They lose again to Ohio State, this time at the rack. This one really wasn't close either. Ohio State in command of this game pretty much from the jump. But, okay, I will say this. It has not been the easiest of stretches right now for Rutgers. Their last three were Iowa, Michigan State, Ohio State. And then you you finish it off with Wisconsin coming up on Friday. But I'm looking at this Rutgers team, and there are some glaring issues right now with them because the defense isn't what it was functioning like early on in the season. And they're now a 7-4 and team, and 3-4 and in the Big Ten, I think, is the alarming part. Honestly, I hate to say this because I've liked Rutgers all year, but in terms of panic meter, I'm much higher on the panic meter for them because I look at their schedule and it's not getting any easier. You know, you got Wisconsin, like you said, it is at home, but Wisconsin's maybe the best team in the Big Ten right now, just total body of work. That's Friday night. Then, and again, it's COVID, so maybe these won't line up totally how I'm laying them out here, but Sunday night right now is at Indiana. That's another game they're projected to lose on Ken Palm. So that would be five in a row is what they're projected to lose right now. After that, home against Michigan State, 
You don't really know what you're ever getting with Michigan State, but I can tell you that I could see them losing to Michigan State. At Northwestern after that, a game you're projected to win by one, home against Minnesota, and then at Iowa, there's a world where if that schedule is somewhat close to how it is supposed to play out and there's not a COVID pause, we're sitting here early February and we're talking about Rutgers as a bubble team. Now, I don't think, I think they should still should get in the tournament. I don't want everyone to panic too much, but when I look at their schedule, they're projected to go 13-10 and 10 final record on Ken Palm. And that's given them some wins against a Michigan State at home or some games that they could easily lose the way they're playing right now. So as good as they looked at the start of the year, I'm I'm sort of selling stock right now in Rutgers. I will say this, as tough as this stretch is, and even some of the upcoming games are not easy, the final six games, given what the Big Ten is, you will take that as a closing stretch. You've got yeah, Northwestern at home, then you go to Michigan. That's really the toughest game that they're going to have in this stretch. And then home against Maryland, home against Indiana, away at Nebraska, and then at Minnesota. You'll take that, I think. So that that's one of the things is it's tough now, but at the end of the season, it might be one of those things where they're battle-tested because right now you're facing some really, really tough teams. I mean, it's even worth noting that in Big Ten play, they do have a win against Illinois. They do have a win on the road against Maryland that wasn't even close. And then they had a, a win against Purdue, who's looking solid right now at, at home. So I think that's one of the things that you have to take into account there. Also, Cliff Amore has not been with this team the last handful of games. Ever since he went down, they are 1-4. and four. Yeah. So I'm wondering if they get him back, how is that going to change? Because the defense has certainly gotten a lot more suspect, and Amore's uh, absence might be a big part of that right now. I do want to talk about Ohio State too, and make sure that we give them their due. Because mm-hmm. real quick, can I throw win. one last? Can I throw one yeah, last thing it. about Rutgers out there? So when I look at this Rutgers team, I think one of the things that that is really haunting them is the free throw shooting right now, because yeah. this is a team that is getting to the line about an average amount in terms of across the country. They're getting to the line about right smack dab in the average in terms of uh, free throw attempts. But their free throw percentage is 58 right now. 58% is what they're shooting from the stripe. And if you're going to be playing in some of these close Big Ten games, and that's part of the reason why they're not in some of these games, too, is they're missing so many free throws. Yeah. Like an Ohio State game. or, or the, I mean, the Iowa game was close. You could have won that Iowa game with a couple free throws here or there. And then, I mean, the defense, it's for a team that is so sound on the perimeter – I'd expect one of two things to be true here. They're either forcing more turnovers or forcing longer possessions. Now, they force pretty long possessions in the upper half of the conference, or not in the conference, of the entire country. But the one thing about it is that I would expect for a team that is so good on the perimeter, you would be among like the top 50 teams in terms of average length of defensive possession. Right now, they're sitting right about in the middle. The D1 average is 17 seconds. They're at 17.3 right now. And then the turnover rate, they're outside the top 200 in turnover rate on defense. So that's something that's really concerning for me for a team that is so defensive-oriented. Yeah. They seem like they get in spells in games where they're just having trouble scoring. I've noticed that when I've watched them a couple times. Even that Syracuse game, They won the game, but it felt like Syracuse wasn't playing that great, and there was times where Rutgers could pull away earlier than when they ended up pulling away, which which was in the late stages of the game, and Syracuse was down two starters in that game. So 
I don't know. I, I'm not totally sold on Rutgers, but on the Ohio State front, the way that they came out, going to the rack, it's you got to give them some credit too because you're down C.J. Walker in this game. You're without him for about a month, it seems like, which is really tough for them. Also, Jimmy Sotos, who's their backup point guard, who was thrusted into a starting spot, goes down in this game. Don't know. I haven't seen any information on how long he will be out, but when you think about it, Ohio State has now lost three point guards since the start of the year. If Sotos is out for a while, you're getting to a point where they are getting thin there. And you still look at them, they're 9-3, and three, they're 3-3 three and three in Big Ten play, and they're just having other guys step up and make plays. And you wonder, like Seth Towns is a guy who we both know is a lot more talented than what he's showing, it's just he hasn't been healthy, and he's working his way back into flow after not playing college basketball for a while. So... I'm the reverse of Rutgers. It's easy to do after a game where they blow them out like this. And the final score was only 11 points, but they kind of had it in hand. Most of the way Rutgers won the last frame of the game for sure. Um, But I think Ohio state, you're buying stock and Rutgers, you're selling stock for sure. After this game, I will say this Ohio state, it feels like they're the inconsistent team in the big 10. They're the team that you're going to see go out get some impressive wins. Like they've already beaten Rutgers twice. And and I know we've kind of bashed Rutgers for the past five minutes now, but Rutgers is still a a good win to have, I think, on your resume, especially when you do it twice. But Ohio State, I'm looking at the rest of their schedule. It's going to be tough for them to get in a rhythm, I think. Because when you look, okay, they've got Northwestern up next, probably a team that you're going to take care of business at home with. Then you go Illinois and Wisconsin, both of those games on the road. You got home games, Purdue, Michigan State, that's not easy. I mean, it's not hard, I would say, but it's not easy. Then right. you go on the road to Iowa and Maryland, home against Indiana, road against Penn State, then Michigan, Michigan State, and then Iowa, Illinois to close the season. That's a nightmare scenario, I think, even though both of those games are at home. But that that's one of those – it's going to be tough for them to get into a rhythm because they may play – one or two easy games in a row or or maybe pick up a solid win in a row, but then are you going to have a letdown game against a team like a Michigan State or a Penn State or something like that? And it's going to be really, really difficult, I think, for this team to get into a rhythm. And then after all of this, your your grand prize is you get to play in the the Big Ten tournament, which is not going to be easy. (laughs) So I I don't know. It's going to be very concerning, especially with the injuries, like you mentioned, with with C.J. Walker going down, and you're right, it's probably going to be quite some time before they get him back. But this is a team that can't afford a lot of injuries, so they're already going to struggle to find a rhythm, and the schedule's not going to do them any favors. Yeah, we we always say that they can't afford, and I I agree, but it's you got to give Chris Holtman credit too because it feels Mm -hmm. like they shouldn't have been able to win this game given the amount of injuries they've already had this year and sort of the turbulence in the program of just like not knowing how when Seth Towns was going to be ready, that type of stuff. And here they are, they're 17 in Ken Palm at this point. It's amazing, though. Like, we could do that Big Ten schedule game of let's lay out, oh, man, like all of a sudden this team could be on the bubble. We could do that for, like, every team, I, I feel like. And Rutgers, I, I do feel like, has a decent chance of really falling victim to it based on what they've done in their past two games and then, and really their past three games if you want to count Iowa, although that wasn't that shocking that they lost that game. But yeah, the the Big Ten is just so loaded, and every time I look at a Ken Palm schedule for one of the teams, you step away and you're like, oh, maybe I should sell their stock, because <laughs> there's not a lot of wins to be had in the coming weeks for them. I got a question for you. So you know, we, we kind of did this with 
the the conference player of the year. But how many guys would be conference player of the year in the ACC? How many coaches would oh. be coach of the year from the Big Ten in in the ACC? Like I probably going to be. Yeah, I probably would too. I mean, I'm looking at right now, Michigan, it looks like Jawan Howard, if Michigan can keep this up, obviously they're probably not going to go undefeated in the conference or or for the regular season, but if Michigan keeps this up, and I'm not saying wins the Big Ten, but if they finish top three in the Big Ten, probably going to go to Jawan Howard, right? There are a number of guys, I mean... You could look at Iowa with Fran McCaffrey, Wisconsin, Greg Gard, Illinois, Brad yeah. Underwood. I would even I would even throw Archie's name in there with Indiana because he's had some some quality wins under his belt. Chris Collins has a resurgent Northwestern group. And you mentioned Chris Holtman too. I mean, for a while it looked like Steve Peichels was gonna be the front runner in the conference. Patino was sort looking of died good. down. And yeah, I mean, yeah. Literally all of those guys and they'd be in a competition with Brad Brownell right now in the yeah. ACC. It would be them versus Brownell because that's Although what it Brownell is right now. Brownell has got a strong case too. The more, I mean, yeah, he does. He, no, yeah. he he most definitely does. But I'm thinking from a Nationals perspective. I mean, Jawan Howard's name is right up there. Yeah, I would agree. I'm a little torn on Michigan too. I, I know they don't have any games that we're recapping here, but I don't know. I I just can't. Uh, can you see Michigan in the Final Four? I feel like there's a part of me that feels like they're going to start to to fall victim to the Big Ten schedule. And we've talked about how their closing stretch is so tough that but at the same time it's it's like what we talked about when we last talked about them. They're just objectively playing great too. So you gotta acknowledge that. They are. I think this is one of those situations where they're kind of they probably feel like they're getting the the traditional college basketball experience right now in terms of it's a, a softer schedule to begin. You get a couple games yeah, under your belt true. against some lesser teams. <laughs> And you're figuring everything out. And, okay, you've got Wisconsin tonight, which is, I, I cannot wait to watch this Great game. Great game. But I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, because, like, none of the teams that they're playing, they play one top 25 team in Ken Palm after this Wisconsin game for the next, what is this, six games. And then you close out with that impossible stretch of Illinois, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Ohio State, Iowa. You get all those teams. And then, I mean, the worst team you play is Michigan State the rest of the way. Right. After that six-game stretch. So And who knows with I'm, them. Yeah. Right, exactly. So I'm thinking to myself, they may be feeling themselves a little bit because of the – they're getting, I feel like, a more traditional college basketball run here. And I think that might be a good thing for them. Because they can settle in, and it's not like they don't have any quality wins. I mean, I would say beating Northwestern is a quality win, going on the road and taking down Maryland. I mean, the thing is, is that they're blowing these teams out, too. Yeah, no, that, that's true. They are they look good. I, I shouldn't even second-guess. I'm just very excited for this Wisconsin game tonight, and a lot of people will be listening after that game, so we don't have to talk about it too much. But it's just, that's a, a true test for them that I'm really excited to watch them play. Yeah. All right, you want to get into some one and dones here? Yeah, let's do it. One and done, my guys. Obviously, we have one in our conference. It has a doctorate degree in one and dones, right? <laughs> All right, so first off, I think we got to start with uh, Coach K because he is back. He is back roaming the sidelines for the Duke Blue Devils after his little COVID pause. He comes back, and I don't know. I mean, it, it feels like you you left the, the teenager home for – well, <laughs> while you were on vacation, when, when John Shire had to coach that Boston College game, you end up squeaking out a one-point victory. 
but he's back for Wake Forest. They come out a double-digit win, and uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what this Duke team's going to do moving forward. Again, they're they're 3-0 and right now, and we kind of said this after the Illinois game, is that when you look at Duke and we look at the struggling Blue Bloods right now in college basketball, Duke had the best chance of getting right Yeah, because of the fact that their schedule was so soft to open up ACC play. You went Notre Dame, Boston College, Wake Forest. Those are the three worst teams in the ACC right now. And then you're going to follow it up. You go to Virginia Tech. That one's going to be a little tough. Now you've got Pitt and then Louisville. You should go 2-1, and one, I think, in this three-game stretch here. Yeah, you probably should. Louisville is coming on. We could talk about them a little bit. I, I do like them as kind of a sleeper to win the ACC. But I did some blue blood panic meter rankings here for you. And again, this is something we've talked about a lot on this podcast, how these teams are struggling. But 1-10, to 10, 10 being full-scale panic like Kentucky was when they were 1-6, essentially. Mm-hmm. I put Duke at a 5 because not only do they bounce back I think they're in the best shape of all the Blue Bloods on, on my rankings. I guess if you want to throw Kansas in there, then Kansas is maybe like a three or a four in this ranking. But Duke got a five because Matt Hurt puts up 26, a career high in their win over Wake. You had Wendell Moore finally break out for a good game against BC. He had 24. So you're starting to get some semblance of the team that we envisioned at the start of the year. Those guys that we thought were going to be key contributors are stepping forward. Virginia Tech tonight is going to be interesting. UNC, I have it a 6 on the 1-10 to 10 scale. I think they played a little bit better, but they're still just squeaking by some ACC teams. Kentucky is a 7, and that's way up from the firm 10 they were at because Kentucky has looked good. They get Keon Brooks back, and this Alabama game tonight is very fascinating because you're talking about an Alabama team who is playing really hot and a Kentucky team is playing really hot, and whoever wins that game will be first in the SEC after tonight. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that those are pretty spot on right there. And I mean, I think the only thing I would disagree with is I have zero panic in, in Kansas right now. And I don't know if it's just the... Because don't of the tell group Jayhawk putting, fans that. I know, I but maybe yeah. is it just because of the group that we're putting them in? Because like Duke, UNC, Kentucky all have real problems. Yeah, like, and the real, Michigan real State... Problems. Yeah, I, yeah, little, throw, throw them in there too. Yeah, I would, would say they're them six, at? Would, probably. I'd probably right? go a seven or an eight. I think yeah. they are at real jeopardy of missing the tournament after that Purdue loss. Yeah, it was. I mean, terrible. that was some of the, the worst final yeah. two minute <laughs> holding of a lead I've ever seen. It was awful. It's, it's weird because I was going to put them at maybe a four or a five after they crushed Rutgers, but the way they lost that game, you're probably right. It definitely a seven. I would say would be Michigan State, and then Kentucky. I don't really know what to to make of them because. They still have a lot of work to do, but if they beat Alabama, that's four in a row, all without Terrence Clark, which is weird, and Keon Brooks is back, and he did make a difference in that game the other night. He gets 12.6 rebounds off the bench in like 20-odd minutes, so they crushed Florida over the weekend. They looked really good in that game, but it's just, is it too little too late for them? Yeah, I mean, it's very tough, especially as a, a power conference team, to overcome a a six-game losing streak, especially when it's all non-conference games, too. I think that's the the part. 3-0 in the the SEC is nothing to scoff at because I do think the SEC is a little up, but kind of like we said, it it was very similar with Kentucky and Duke heading into their conference stretches. We could kind of see them getting right for a little bit. 
I mean, they squeaked yeah. by Mississippi State. If Cal doesn't get ejected, they probably don't win that Mississippi State game. It's a double right. overtime game. Then they go, they play a way too close game with Vanderbilt at Rupp. Th- that can't happen. Now, the, the Florida game is, is super impressive. I mean, what they pulled off there was impressive. I, you Florida's can't deny that. Florida's been struggling. But you and could you even can't really kind blame of, them. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing is you can throw in the caveat that, hey, they don't have Keontae Johnson. And it's when you lose the SEC preseason player of the year, it's never easy. Never easy. Exactly. So I want to see what they can do against the LSUs. Uh, they do have that game against Texas later on. I think that could be a real turning point for them. But Tennessee, Arkansas, I want to see what they do against teams like that. So And, and even Alabama tonight I think is a, a good test for them. And I'm looking forward to that game a lot. All right. What do you have? All right, I've got some Ewing theory candidates for you here. Oh, okay, that, I love this. Yeah, they they aren't familiar with this. If you aren't, it's Bill Simmons coined the phrase of basically like when Patrick Ewing was out of the game a long time ago for the Knicks, or when he was away with what was probably an injury, they started playing better. So can we, there were can a lot we rephrase of, this for college basketball purposes? Sure. Can we call them like Calipari candidates? <laughs> yeah, because it doesn't really translate. That Kentucky team kind of clicks without uh, without Cal on the sidelines. Right. Well, it's funny. Maybe we should rephrase it to Terrence Clark candidate because that's that's one of my okay. top candidates for the Ewing theory because how much of it is them playing better because Terrence Clark isn't turning the ball over and hogging some shots up there. I, I like Terrence Clark a lot going into the year, but this is three games without him, three wins, and it does feel like Kentucky has just a much bigger uptick in – sort of cohesiveness on the offensive end of the court. We mentioned that Brooks is back as well. That helps. But the way Kentucky's shooting, too, it, it, they're shooting 46% from three in their past three games combined after they were 350-something in the country going into that matchup and three-point percentage about a week and a half ago. Hmm, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I like that. Do you have any other candidates yeah. on that list? All so right, let's hear them. this is one that hurts a little bit because – this is a guy we love on the Made for March podcast, but James Booknight at UConn. Hmm. I just want to throw it out there. Uh, first, I want to give UConn some love. They're now ranked, and they've lost one game all year, and it was to Creighton in overtime that they could have won. So they could be undefeated at this point. But Booknight goes down a couple games ago against Marquette. They were trailing by 18 at the start of the second half when he went down. He goes down. He doesn't return. They rally and win that game against Marquette 65-54. Then they beat Butler 72-60, and they beat DePaul last night, which is insane a ton, but still, they've won three games without him. And you hear some comments. Dan Hurley postgame against Butler was like, yeah, I think this has been good for James to realize that he's got some capable teammates out there and he doesn't have to do it all on his own. He wasn't like bashing him, but he was kind of subtly like, yeah, I think when James comes back, he'll realize now that these guys around him are really good. And Tyler or Tyler Poley had 42 points on 10 for 16 three-point shooting in the game against Butler, which is just, I mean, I don't know. That one got glossed under the radar, I think, over the weekend. That's like, yeah. has anyone scored more than that all season? And so I think UConn is, is proven that they've got a lot of options just outside of Booknight. I don't know if it's really you in theory. Like, they're a better team with, with Booknight on the court, but it's interesting that they're playing that well. I'm looking right now at the the UConn schedule. They've rattled off three straight road wins. And yeah. it's not against the the cream of the crop in terms of competition, but it's Marquette, it's Butler, it's DePaul. And I know there's no fans, but I mean there's still that that Hinkle magic in in that field house, I got to say. Um and then now now come some of the tests. I mean, yeah, they they did play that close game with 
with Creighton, which obviously was impressive. I think I even picked that one, or maybe you picked that one yeah. for an upset pick over the weekend. And they had that game too. They, they had that game. Yeah. And Creighton's looking pretty good. And I feel like we don't talk enough about them on this show. But well, that's Villanova, another UN candidate. I've got Marcus yeah. Zagorowski. He was out. Yeah. That one's kind of a joke because <laughs> they they did just bash St. John's, but it's St. John's. I, I don't take too much from that. And the, the final two, just to finish off by UN candidates, we talked about them a little bit, but C.J. Walker, Ohio State, Eric Ayala, Maryland, because they got two wins. And I think this just goes into a greater theme. Like you could throw Caleb Mills in there to Sheboy. Like there's a lot of guys that have just been out from good teams this year because of COVID stuff and the pauses and everything. And does you know, Kobe King still time. count? Yeah, <laughs> he could, he could work. I think he has to, right? Why don't we just name that the award? The Kobe yeah. King award. Yeah. The Kobe King award. <laughs> right. The Kobe King so, all-stars. I would say Terrence Clark leading the way book night. I'm monitoring because I love him so much, and he was putting up ridiculous numbers, but you have to wonder if maybe he could scale it back a little bit and that would favor the team after what they've been doing. Cool. Yeah, I like that. We, we that, that could be fun every week. The the Kobe King All-Stars. We find like three teams or three guys who are gone, and and their teams actually play better without them. Coaches, right. players, mascots, <laughs> I don't care. Figureheads. Um, all right. My next one, did you see this story? The the name image likeness vote has been delayed again. I feel like this is the fourth Shocker. or fifth time this has happened. And I, I've got a question for you, Tim. What happens first? Arizona actually gets in trouble or <laughs> the NIL actually gets voted on? I don't care if it gets passed or not. It actually has to get, just get voted on. Will it get voted on first or or will Arizona get actual punishments handed down by the NCAA? I mean... We'll be out of COVID by the time that those things happen. We'll be out of like, COVID. We'll be out of whatever the next pandemic is. <laughs> right. Like Joe Biden will be they running say, for like, re-election. Yeah. No, they say like you get one pandemic in your lifetime. I mean, the next pandemic will be happening. Sean Miller will still be sweating through his shirt. And, and the name image likeness will still be up for debate. Yeah. And, and Jim Beheim and Coach K will still be on the sideline. And Roy Williams. Yeah, with Roy yeah. And, and Leonard and all those guys. Right. Uh I, I don't even have an answer for that. It's it's just really sad how, like, and now I'm reading the stuff that it looks like Oklahoma State's going to play in the tournament just because the NCAA will not get and you to know their what? decision I'm on happy. time. I'm so oh, happy. Oh, yeah, I, I that. want that. Don't don't get me wrong. It's just, it's kind of like, why even issue a postseason ban if they can just appeal it? And, like, the whole thinking of why Oklahoma State will be able to play is because the NCAA won't be able to get to that decision in time for the tournament. So by that measure, they have to just say, okay, like we haven't given you a fair shake. So since the appeal's still going, you can play. Like why even issue the postseason ban if you can just get around it that easily? And I don't, like I want Kate Cunningham in the tournament, but it just, the whole NCAA system, we could have a whole separate podcast on. It's, it's a shame. Yeah, it's like Congress. They they just shut down sometimes, and right. then all of a sudden you can you can let Oklahoma State play in the tournament. So hey, I I don't mind it. I don't mind it one bit. All right, what's your next one? All right, two uh, unbelievable performances from the weekend. One Joel Ayayi, Joel Ayayi had a triple double, first in Gonzaga history, and their win over. Portland. Did we call that earlier too? We said that of all the players in the country, he is the I think triple we double did. candidate. I think we did. Yeah, call that. He, I mean he goes twelve points, fourteen rebounds. 13 assists that might be slightly off there but it was 12 14 13 in some form and he's the, the fourth best double. player like like how dude it's it's a joke how good gonzaga is they scored 116 points and they didn't cover 
That's gonna be the first time that's ever happened, right? <laughs> like, I'm looking at the happen? win probability right now on Ken Palm for the the Portland game. It's just a flat line on the top, a flat red line on the top. Yeah, I bet. Oh, I mean, it doesn't even that. like Portland could start the game up twenty nothing and they'd still lose. It's just I want to see how many of how those good. Gonzaga has. How many flat red lines? How many times has Gonzaga flat line teams this year? Well, right, once I'm it, back. I mean, BYU they, too tough they of a did schedule. it. So, yeah, BYU, yeah, they, that I, was BYU, uh, San Francisco, they did not. Dixie State, they did. BYU had a little, uh, a little bit of a, a pulse, uh, I, or I see on that, or San Francisco, rather. Uh, Northern Arizona, they flatlined. Um, let's see if they flatlined. No, they did not flatline Virginia. Right. Um, I'm sure this is tantalizing. Uh, They're gonna flatline like their next ten. Flatline games, so. Northwestern State. I mean, th- this is the thing that they do. They flatline teams. Yeah. They flatline. <laughs> I mean, they did it to Northwestern State twice, albeit not a great team. Um, I doubt they did it to Iowa. They definitely didn't do it to West Virginia. How about Auburn? Auburn, they came close. They came close, and then Kansas. I doubt they did. No, they did not. So. Yeah. Yeah. This is the new thing we got to look for. Gonzaga's flatlining teams. Right. The other star performance from the weekend, Sharif Cooper makes his Auburn debut five-star guard. He looked tremendous, even though he has He's been... a reclass guy, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. And also, he was out. He wasn't even practicing with the first-team guys, according to Bruce Pearl, because he's dealing with the eligibility stuff, another NCAA decision that just kind of makes no sense. They were wondering, I guess his dad's an NBA agent, and they're trying to figure out if there was impermissible stuff there. Probably was, but anyway, he he gets to play. Who cares? I just want to see a guy like that on the court for the limited time he'll be out there. And he scored 26 points, 9 assists in his debut. Did have a, a lot of turnovers. They lost 94-90 in a game to Alabama, which was just back and forth. Really fun game. And the stats are probably a little influenced because of how up-tempo the game was. But that's saying something to it not even practice with the first team, find out like the night before, maybe, maybe it was even the morning of a early game that you're able to play, get the scout, just try and figure it out on the fly, and then go out first NCAA game and put up 26 and 9. Like That says a lot about his talent. Wait, so his dad's an NBA agent? Yes, I think so. He's That's a five-star guard, and he's playing for Bruce Pearl. All right, checks out. Yeah, <laughs> or Will Wade probably would be the other <laughs> yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. sure that was that was quite the the bidding war there. All right, um, my last one that I got here, Oscar Shibway. I don't know if you saw this news, but he's yeah. transferring to Kentucky, and that's just another another guy, another big man that I think can go into Lexington and let people down. I, I, like, <laughs> I just don't understand that move for for Shibway. Like. Yeah, I'll never question a guy for leaving because there can always be things going on in the background that we don't know about. But right. why is he going to Kentucky? Like, what what is he supposed to be the savior for here? Like, you've got Olivier. Yeah, he just start. wasn't You're... good this year, too. Like, yeah, I relative mean, to expectations. I'm surprised. I, th- this move does not feel like a a step up in any case. I know going from West Virginia to Kentucky usually looks like a a vertical move, but. This is not even a horizontal move, I don't think. I mean, you're not going to be getting a ton of playing time. You got Olivier Saar and Isaiah Jackson in front of you. Isaiah Jackson's had some pretty good games actually this year, um, and I, I don't, I don't get this. I, I maybe it's a long term play here. I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm kind of perplexed by this. I think it's just blue blood nation, Coach Gal, the whole appeal of it, and he just wasn't really 
fitting with West Virginia. Like he he was having a down year. The other one that was weird was uh, Namari Burnett. I think we talked about this a little bit maybe last podcast. Yeah, we mentioned he transferred Tech. last week. Yeah, I I went back and looked at his numbers. I candidly just hadn't really been monitoring him that much. He was averaging like five points for a guy that was the first McDonald's All American to ever go to Texas Tech, and you just have to wonder like. Where is he going to go? I'm sure he'll get some bitters because he's kind of like Quinterly or someone where it's just the talent is so eye-popping. That's a good comp right there, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like for him, I saw, I think it was Seth Davis was writing The Athletic about how sometimes you just got to like suck it up and make your way through some adversity because no matter where you go, you're going to have to prove it. And five points in the Big 12 is, like I get you're a freshman, but... If you're not playing at Texas Tech, you're probably not going to play at some school that you're thinking about. I don't know. I, I just found that one kind of puzzling, too. Here's what I would push back on. Look at Quentin Grimes. He's He's been and, great. Yeah. Yeah. And look what he's come, become. And I feel like sometimes it is good to just get out. And especially this year where you can be eligible right away, get out and get out early. I That's think this, true. If you're going to do it one year, this is the year to do it because they are just letting all these transfers be eligible. So, and Quentin Grimes has certainly made the most of his second opportunity. I mean, he's, he's one of the best players in the nation right now. I would agree. Yeah. Then like Caleb Bills leaving, there's just a lot of those this year where you go, huh? Like that's kind of weird, but it's because the eligibility thing probably. Yeah. So, and you got any other ones for me? No, that's all for, uh, for my one and done's. But all right. I mean, this is a good slate here on Tuesday night that we can't really spend too much time talking about. But like Duke, Virginia Tech, that Wisconsin, Michigan game, Alabama, Kentucky, we'll, we'll have a lot to talk about in the next podcast, I bet. Absolutely. Looking forward to that. So coming up later on in the week, we will preview the weekend for you, get you some weekend winners and also some upset picks and also get through everything that's happening these next three days. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are the absolute powerhouse days of college basketball. I love them. Tim loves them. And of course, we can't forget about Big Monday as well. So we will be back with you later on in the week to preview the weekend. For Tim, I'm Tyler. We will talk to you guys on Friday. The game was over. 